Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, 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 hello again, everybody, and welcome to Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us this week. Man, what a week it has been. I mean, could you ask for a better weekend in the NFL playoffs? I mean, if there's any debate, and there is no debate, uh, that the NFL is king of the jungle. I mean, it's almost like they scripted this thing to make sure you and I both knew that, and everybody else knows that, the way those games went this past weekend. Three of them decided uh, at the buzzer. Uh, Four of them decided at the buzzer. Four walk-off wins. Can you believe that with three of the four road teams winning the games? We'll talk more about that with our guest this week. He broadcasts the NFL each and every week. You've seen him on television, either ESPN or Fox, for the better part of 25 years. And that's Chris Myers. Something you may not know about him we're going to touch on in a minute. He was the first person to interview O.J. Simpson live in studio after both Simpson's criminal trial and his civil trial. We're going to cover that and so much more. Thank Tony Bender, our producer and engineer, and all his outstanding work. Mike Reed for our music soundtrack. And we thank the folks at the Believe Network for believing in this program. You're dialed in with Tom Brenneman. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist, call one 844 Y-E-S-C-H-N-K. Chris Myers was born in March of 1959 in Miami, Florida. That's where he went to high school. And in fact, he really started his career at 16 years old, hosting his own radio show. After college, he would return to Miami as a TV sportscaster. From there, was on to New Orleans before hitting the big time. With ESPN in 1988, hosting SportsCenter, Baseball Tonight, he had up close his own interview show. In fact, he received an Emmy Award for the interview program up close on which he was the first person to conduct live interviews with O.J. Simpson after both his murder trial and civil lawsuit. He was at the Earthquake World Series in 1989. He was an on-scene reporter, actually stayed on the air all night long during the Centennial Park bombing in Atlanta, That was during the Olympic Games, you may remember. In 1998, off to Fox, where Chris Myers has truly done it all. Called play-by-play for the NFL on Fox, still does. He's worked the sidelines on five Super Bowls with Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, Aaron Andrews. He's called Major League Baseball on Fox. I had the pleasure of working with him on three BCS National Championship college football games. He's been the host of NASCAR on Fox since 2001. I mean, this guy's done tennis. He's done boxing. He's done darts. He's even done the Westminster Kennel Club dog show. He's a husband and a father, and he is dialed in this week with Tom Brenneman. Chris Myers, what have I missed that perhaps you are most proud of? 
what well, no, you you covered a lot, uh, and I, I enjoyed you know working with you. And I, one of my early ESPN assignments, 1989, as I was the first West Coast reporter, they said we're going to fly it. Even I'm the reporter on the West Coast. They only had me and Jimmy Roberts on the East Coast. They said go to Cincinnati. You know we got this story of the Pete Rose and the the betting scandal. He could get banned from baseball, and I covered that. Of course, I, I met your father and heard his voice for a lot of years, and and, and he was very helpful. Uh, with a writer named Hal Dayton in terms of covering that story. There's a lot of big ones that just get kind of glossed over, but that one was one of the earlier ones that I connected with you and then uh, your dad and then later got to work with you on some baseball as well as you mentioned the, the BCS and some crazy stuff. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I, you know, if you start young, Tom, then, then I think you get to do a lot of things. And I, and I joke with people being on TV, you know me, I like to kid a lot. I said, I, I went to those cryogenics people out here in Hollywood. I said, I want you to freeze my looks. I said, I want you to, I want you to freeze my looks. They froze my career. So now I, you know, I think I need to try to do something to keep going, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And as you know, if you, if you love sports and you love people, uh, then the TV, the, the media part of it uh, is, is a lot of fun. And but, it has been, and it still is. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to slow down if it's up to me. So. But, I, but, but I want to ask you, because you and I were chatting a little bit off the air, and we've been around each other uh, many, many times for many, many years. When you're growing up in Miami, were you, were you always a big sports fan? No, and, and I don't, I'm not blaming my family. I come from a big uh, two brothers, two sisters. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money. My dad worked two jobs. He was a guy who grew up in the, in the Depression. He served in the Navy, was a, as a teenager, the, the beach at Normandy. He was on the ship that hit the shore. I mean, the stories, he, his influence on us, you know, it was, you know, work hard, stay up on current events, get good grades, make something of yourself. And so the sports was kind of a luxury, right, as a young kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I would go into school, and I think it was the second or third grade. I'm sure this a lot with a lot of people, but it was the second or third grade in school, and, I, and my buddies were talking about the MVP and the you know World Series, and I and I, I was embarrassed. I didn't I hadn't watched the the game. I hadn't you know MVP. Who, what is that? And and so I I ended up kind of studying to make sure because they kind of teased me about well how could you not uh, and let's grow up South Florida. So I, I on my own along with homework. Uh, studied uh, sports fanatically, started collecting cards, any radio sports talk show I could listen to, whatever. We didn't have the kinds of media we have today. And and then became uh, a, a fanatic, really, uh, of, of sports, kind of watching it, and then started even wanting to play a little bit, made the, you know, the basketball team. I was the sixth guy, later the backup quarterback. You know, never had a lot of great ability, but but just loved being around it. And that's from kind of really where it began. And then you, you really appreciate, then you study the history and you – you know, go back even before your time. And then as I was growing up, I mean, to, to be able, and you mentioned being uh, lucky enough to uh, called in on that radio show in Miami beach later, they invited me on. And I, uh, and I, I remember leaving algebra class at Chaminade high school in Hollywood and, and going over, I just got my license to uh, the old Fort Lauderdale baseball stadium where mm-hmm. the Yankees used to train and, yep. and, and interviewing, you know, Roger Staubach and Tom Landry and Terry Bradshaw and Chuck Noll, and then feeding that interview up to New York and, and Pat Summerall, you know, for the CBS radio network, and he used it. And I was like, wow, this is, this is good. And that's kind of how I worked my way through junior college to college into, into TV and local TV and then continued on from there. But it was that drive. And it's funny because my father, who passed away, uh, you know, he, he, he would always, you know, want to talk politics or current events. And so he'd call me and say, you know, hey, what do you think of the president's decision here or this? And, <laughs> you know, and so I, I, it's, once they saw that I made a living at this and a career, he was very proud, obviously. He became 
more of a of a sports fan. Wow. Uh, you know, he'd call and I'd say, "Hey, Dad, what do you think of the latest uh, move by Congress?" And he'd say, "Never mind that. How about those Dodgers? You know, they're they're going into this." So it kind of swung around just just a little bit. But that really was one of the driving forces. And then, then other members of my family like sports, and they kind of followed along and supported me in in that way. But that I guess really being uh, driven by that, and then also having a big family where you're used to talking and interviewing people, kind of gave me that that part of the the people part of sports. Uh, but but I uh, since that point uh, ha- have just never let up on sports and really really enjoy it. it's kind of my escape from <laughs> the problems of the real world. You know it's interesting you mentioned you know you get out of college and I mean you start working in markets like Miami. I mean who in the world gets a chance to start their career working in a market like Miami? And you go to New Orleans. Yeah. I mean all of this is happening before you get to ESPN. You know it, it's all happening before you're twenty five twenty six years old. Well, I was lucky because I started as a teenager. And I, I, I don't know if you know the story. I don't want to. I don't want to bore you with Please, it. Please, you're not I born was, anybody. <laughs> I was supposed to be okay. I told you the background with my family, right? I'm supposed to be in my room doing my homework, and and from seven to nine at night, you know, I, I was doing some homework, but there was this sports talk radio show, Sports Line. So I would call in a guy named Sonny Hirsch, who became a legend down there. Later, uh, did University of Miami play by play. He had the talk. So I would call in. I had a deep voice as a kid. Uh, it was Chris from Miami. You're only allowed one call a night, so you don't clutter the same people, don't clutter the phone lines and talk sports. They didn't have caller ID, so I call back as you know, as Duke from North Miami. I, I kind of <laughs> disguise my voice a little, and I would agree with my earlier call, Tom. So I get more airtime. Sure. You know, this was yeah. So I had this going for about a year, maybe a little more than that. I was 15, so I didn't quite have my license yet. So I started 13 in that range, and then the the producer said, "Hey, we're going to have fan night. We're going to have some of our regular callers come down to the the studio, and we're going to put them on in like a panel thing." You know, they had a they had a woman from Brooklyn who was an old Dodger fan. They had a a uh, Hispanic guy who came over from Cuba who loved the Orioles and, you know, saying, we're going to, we're going to have this guy, you know, we're going to have Duke from North Miami and Chris from Miami. And I said, well, <laughs> I, I, I asked my dad, I said, what do I tell you? He said, well, you're going to have to tell him you're, you're a lying little brat. You were supposed to be doing your homework. <laughs> so I was like, come on, dad. So he said, I'll drive, he said, I'll drive you down there. Uh, Cause you only have your temporary license and, and you, you gotta be honest with him. You know, let's see. So I was, and they were, they thought it was actually pretty cool. They said, well, we can't have you being dishonest on the air. Uh, but we will let you, you know, be on the, as a, the panel. And then, you know, you're, you, you, you seem very creative. And it is, if you want to work part-time here, once you get your license behind the scenes, right. As a, kind of a guy sure. who runs the wire copy in and so uh you had to get a little fcc license and i said sure i'll, I'll do that because i was you know in school and then really that was my my only other job other than doing some lawn work in the in, you know in the, in the neighborhood so so that that early start and then filling in on a weekend and getting to host a radio show at 16 uh and then that really helped propel me to get a tv job at 20 in miami and the reason i got the big shot in miami was uh, there there was civil unrest and they had hired a guy from Rochester, New York and, and his family. And then there was riots broke out and his wife said, we're, we're leaving, you know, we're we're bailing shorthanded. And so the local, the local TV producers there, they said, well, you know, you have Myers on the radio. We know at least he knows the dolphins, the hurricanes, he's got spring training covered down here. Let's get him on the weekend to fill in. And I I got that part. And they, they, you know, they, they gave me the full-time job after that while I was still in college. So, and then new Orleans offered me an opportunity to, to, when I went to that station, and this is what helped me get the, the ESPN job was for a local station. They'd let me cover place, things like the Kentucky Derby and the Masters and, you know, things that were beyond and trying to find a local angle. And that was big for a local station sure. to spend that kind of money and, and give that opportunity. And that's what got me the, 
the break to go to ESPN first, and then, you know, a decade later, and I call it the golden years of ESPN, the 90s, when there really was cool sports yeah. center. There really wasn't any, you know, any competition. And, and then, of course, the Fox story where, thing, where Fox was growing their network after they started football and, and, and loved working there and have worked there for the last couple of decades because I got to do a lot of those things you, you mentioned uh, when you opened up this uh, discussion. You know, I want to ask you about a couple of stories you covered. Um, I, I want to go back to the, to the Olympics and the bombing there. Uh, I had Bob Costas on the show um, a couple of times already, and, and he told me this incredible story about when he was, of course, hosting the Olympics uh, in Atlanta. Um, the Richard Jewell story, that name surfaces, um, and then he talked about when the movie came out, he watched the movie with his kids, um, and then how Richard Jewell came into the broadcast booth during the 1997 league championship series that Bob Costas was calling just to come up and thank him for, you know, not assuming from the very beginning that he was guilty of what everybody was circulating. You know, he was a guy that was responsible for this bombing. Um, hey, hey, you know, you look back on that. There, there's so many moving parts here. I mean, did you ever meet him? Did, did, did Were you ever, uh, you know, uh, very much involved in that story? Did you see the movie? I mean, how do you tie all that together on your experience from being down there? Well, I did do, and I'm glad Bob, and Bob's always been accurate, whether it's sports or whatever his opinion is, but in terms of reporting facts, and that's why I'm, I'm sure he was grateful. That was not part of what, what my story was. I did do ESPN, asked me to do a 30 for 30 on the, the Olympic bombing. Uh, my, my portion of it was I was hosting up close from the Olympics at the Chamber of Commerce Center right there in, in that downtown area where that, where that bomb, not too far from where that bomb went off, in Olympic Village area. And I, what I would do is, you know, I would tape. We had Charles Barkley. We had Tom Brokaw, who was, you know, the anchoring the NBC yep. uh, News and the Olympic. He, they would come on. We would tape a couple of interviews for the Up Close show. Uh, Barkley was obviously with the basketball team. We would tape those during the day. And then I would stay and do kind of a wraparound for the late sports center. And, and that's what was happening that night. So I was more, and I think we won like a Peabody Award for this coverage as a network because we had a lot of alert guys on the other end on the production side for ESPN that, were really terrific to keep us going. But but as I finished one of those wraparounds, and they still have the clip that they run on ESPN, I was voicing over some boxing results, and you hear a loud boom. And, you know, you're always taught, you keep going through it, and then you, you react. And so I just finished the, the segment, and then I said, hey, you know, hold on a second, guys. We There's something going on here that's not – I thought it was fireworks at first. So my portion of this coverage, and we – you know, again, NBC had the rights to all the games mm -hmm. and – and the live broadcast, we were there doing our ESPN in and around events kind of thing. And as I set up close, so, but when our cameras were down there, we had this, this setup and I, I was just, and then you can hear and see people scrambling. And I said, well, Hey, this is not, we got to do something here. This is not just fire. Something's gone on. Now I wasn't thinking terrorism or anything like that. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I just, the ambulance and there was some panic. And we got our cameras on it from, from that location because we, you know, we weren't really the, the live broadcast network uh, at the time. <clears throat> and and I, uh, then, they, then uh, they told us to clear the building. Uh, you know, security came up. And I had, to, I had to kind of stretch things a little and say, hey, well, you know, I told the guy, we're, we, we have a right, you know, we're okay to be here. And he said, who said? I said, well, the other, the other guy told us. And anyway, he came back an hour later and said, the, <laughs> there is no other guy. You've got to get out of the building. So, but oh. we stayed long enough to get, to get the shots of what was going on. And, and I, with a cameraman with the remote ability, I went out into the streets. Uh, to, and, and so this was around, what, uh, midnight or whatever the time was. 
late at night. And we stayed on. This is what was so amazing with that the network did this and the beauty of ESPN at the time. We kind of stayed on back in the studio. They had somebody kind of hosting and mm-hmm. keeping updates with other information. And I would go to locations and do reports. And I, I would see that the, there were people being put into an ambulance or some people injury. And, and, and the hard part, Tom, was we, you know, you didn't have the kind of social media, cell phones, so the communication sure. was very difficult. I had to run up to and talk to a, a police officer or, you know, there were some National Guardsmen around at some point, some medical people, that, that type of thing, and make sure that the information was accurate. And that's why I did not report some of the things that I had heard, uh, like you were talking about Richard Jewell. I, I, in, in my position, I just couldn't go there. There wasn't enough to accuse somebody uh, unless a, a, somebody, a spokesperson for the law enforcement would go on and say that that's their responsibility. So we stayed, I remember staying on through, I may have, might've been seven or 8 a.m. the next morning. Uh, and, the, and the funny part was it was so hot, the Georgia heat in the summer. I remember I, I wore these baggy, you know, Hawaiian shorts underneath the desk uh, when I was doing the uh, up close, because you don't see that, you know, with your coat and sure. tie. Uh, and, and yet I still, that's all I had with me as I'm going through this. I'm wandering around with this jacket on, uh, looking like, and I really shouldn't have been down. They were, they were blocking off the streets and barricading and they're looking at me like I'm some, you know, freeloader on a vacation or something. I said, no, I'm really, I'm with ESPN. This is legitimate working wise. And, and we would, we had just kind of, you know, and I updated people as it was going on. And I remember people back in Los Angeles, uh, you know, it was picked up by ABC News and even tied in with, with ESPN Disney and, and also uh, the news affiliates. And they were getting different shots or some people saw <laughs> saw the outfit I was wearing. But but that was at the time that was kind of breakthrough about about the coverage of this. But as far as the aftermath, yes, I was very I- intrigued and disappointed with the accusations and trying to pin something because at the, at the time, all I heard was, hey, it could be terrorism. There could be more than one bomb. And those were the kinds of things that I was attributing to the people that I could talk to without panicking anybody. But certainly they wanted to take every every precaution they could. And I remember my family watching, saying, what are you doing down there? Get out of there. But but I felt, you know, you just felt like you're in the moment. It's like you're doing the job. Uh, there's enough people here that, that care that we, we should, we're here, we should be reporting this. Or, but, you know, why would we we leave a moment where uh, of such importance that may, uh, that may, uh, you know, save lives, affect lives for people that, uh, that are watching or coming in to do the Olympics or, or in and around. I mean, Janet Evans was quickly interviewed. I remember seeing her and, and, and she was okay, but obviously very frightened. So there, there's a lot of a blur there because it was back in 1996 sure. in those summer games in, in Atlanta, but that was, that was my perspective. And for the guys back in, in Bristol, Connecticut, that were in my ear the whole time, keeping us on the air, did, a, did amazing work with our camera operator uh, in, in circumstances. And that's just like the Earthquake World Series when I was there with Bob Lee and Chris Berman. I know Al Michaels and ABC got a lot of credit for staying on the air, which they deserved and did a great job. But they were using the ESPN satellite trucks, and we were there to report for SportsCenter and, and had our own different roles. Uh, and, but that, it made me think of that same kind of thing. Yeah. You're there for sports, but this is a, a much bigger event that you have to stay on top of. So your, your journalism background kind of kicks in, whether you studied that or not, you certainly watch journalists in, in broadcasting through the years to try to do the right thing. All right. Now I want to fast forward to this whole OJ Simpson thing. Um, in June of 1994, OJ Simpson's arrested for the murders of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson and uh, Ron Goldman. Um, he was found not guilty in October of 95. Uh, you get the first interview with him and an extended interview with him. Did you have a relationship with him? How did that happen? And, and, and what was that like to sit down 
and interview a man. And, and look, even to this day, I just saw a thing recently where now it's like 80-something percent of uh, Americans feel like he's guilty. And it's even the point now where it wasn't for a long time where it's up into the high 60s of even African-Americans that believe he was guilty. What, what Walk me through how that happened and what, what that was like. Well, I'll preface it by saying I went in open-minded, thinking, okay, that he couldn't have done it. Sure, he, sure. It wasn't, wasn't him. The more I studied, and Tom, I saw access to information, and I'll explain this in the time we have, there's no way that he didn't do it. Okay, the only question I have absolutely is did he have some help did somebody help him either clean up or assist in this but absolutely and again i went in unbiased uh, but i studied this from the time when it happened and then had access did not really have a relationship with him other than hey i'm, I'm doing up close he's in the, the sports casting business is an ex-great athlete we get him passing todd fritz who was the guest uh, he was our our, our uh, guest booker uh, coordinated that for our up close show Know him back for the. He's now work, working on Dan Patrick show. Still does a terrific job. The best of the business at that. Uh, we had been trying to get OJ on uh, before this incident ever happened. We were just going to talk some NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then this thing happens. To his credit, we after all of this, uh, he he his representative with Todd Fritz, our guest booker, said, you know, he said Chris is fair. I I had some people on up close uh, during the years of doing that, talking mid nineties from LA. Uh, where they, you know, they were top-notch athletes, but they had some problems off the field, and and we had to address it, but but we had to be fair about it, whether it's a DUI, domestic violence, whatever. And and so anyway, th- that's part of the job, even though you're there to be interviewed as a as an athlete in most cases. But anyway, OJ says to the guest booker through his guy, hey, I, I watch this, you know, watch Myers on this show. I, I think he's fair with people the way he interviews them, um, uh, athletes. I, I want to go on that show, but my only, I, I have two restrictions. Uh, and they, when I heard this, I said, okay, well, we'll put him on. I said, but, but he's, he's got to answer all the questions that I'm going to ask because this is not your usual sports interview. This, this guy just got cleared of, of murder, and I'm going to have to study this before I have him on, and that's, that's what we got to talk about. And his only two conditions were uh, he wanted to do it live, and, and he turned down Barbara Walters because he didn't want it to be edited so he could be, his thoughts could be represented. He wanted to do it live, and, and you couldn't ask about his children, which I thought was fair yeah. at the time. I'm like, okay, that's fair enough. So they coordinate this and, and live our, our hub close ESPN show. I think it went from six to six thirty. It was a half hour show. And usually we didn't do it live because guests would come in at different times, but they set it up credit to ESPN for going for it. Some people asked, some people said, don't do it. I had some people more. I had death threats. People called me said, don't put this killer on the air. You know, you're siding with him. You're glorifying him. And I, I you know, whatever. I was going to do this interview because it, because I knew what I wanted to do. And I, and I had time to prepare for it. And I, and I, I met with the detectives who worked on the case. I saw photos uh, from that the jury wasn't even allowed to see, the police photos of the murder scene. Uh, I, I talked to Vincent Bugliosi, the attorney who put sure. Charles Manson yep. away. Yep. May, he re- may he rest in peace. I had Bob Shapiro tell me at the last moment, this is the guy who represented O.J. Simpson, okay, Tom? At the last minute, met him at some function. He said he knew I was going to do the. He said, I wouldn't do it if I were you. Anything connected with him is a, is a career you know, a really? career killer, no pun intended, uh, which is which is strange, right? Isn't that strange? Yeah, Maybe really do strange. The interview. Right. Yeah. Even even more. I was not going to come on and talk about how great a football player he was. That's not even though I'm a sports guy. So I studied this case. I, Tom, it got to the point where I 
I, you know, I, 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 people said, look, he's a, he's a terrific liar. I mean, he believes what he's saying and he'll make you look bad like he did with some people in the, in, in trial. And he lost, but the, the civil suit, by the way, found guilty 20 minutes over slam dunk unanimous decision. So he's paying the family the money. But anyway, I, I, I was so into this in the two week preparation period. I, you know, I met with lawyers, judges. So I knew and just understood. I felt like a lawyer. I mean, I'd be at home and they'd say, pass the salt. And I'd say, objection, you know, sustained, whatever. I was, I was a little, a little over the, you know me, a little over the top. So we go into this and we're live. We're supposed to go 30 minutes. You know, we're, we're 10 or 20 minutes in and I hear the, the call from Bristol. Hey, keep going with this. We're going to go. And I think we almost went an hour and you can watch it on YouTube. I think the full thing is out there uh, or at least available, if not wherever. But uh, so then it's okay, good. We have more time because I, I had photos of, of, of this. But the most amazing thing is he comes in. There were a few protesters outside our little Hollywood studio, nothing big. Um, and he doesn't say much. He just, you know, I said, I appreciate you doing this. And, and, and we're going live. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's good to be on. And we, we, we go for the first segment, however long it was. We're talking, we're showing pictures of, you know, his, his you know, Nicole Brown Simpson and how she's beat up. This first we started with his domestic violence charges, which mm-hmm. he got off the hook on. And, and, and he's, oh, yeah, well, you know, those are photos. Anybody doesn't look that good at 2 in the morning. We hit the break, and he turns to me, and, and, he, said, and he says, hey, you know, I have, a, I have a tea time at Riviera next week, and we have an opening if you want to play some golf. Oh, you know, and I, was, uh, I, I couldn't believe this. I, I was, like, stunned. Like, who, who is this? Uh, by the way, he is a big, physically kind of imposing sure, figure sure. As, we're, as you're sitting. And I know, you know, like, he's, he seemed a little medicated, you know, and I studied this stuff, so I – I figure, you know, he's dangerous, he's not dangerous, but his, his PR representative or whatever he had is, I don't know, she came, this woman comes flying out of the green room after the first segment saying, you can't do this, you can't continue like this kind of questioning. And before I could say anything, and the producer, OJ, Rental James says, hey, hey, go back, I got this, this is no problem, you know, kind of a thing. So I knew wow. we were in for, for a while, a wild ride. And we went on through the whole thing. You know, he spun things. He lied to say the most. You know, I, I, the closest it came was, "Are you are you capable of killing?" Was the question that I asked him, and that that that's what he said. Well, yes, we are all. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it. Yeah, but we're all capable of killing if we have to do. You know, the, he tried to put some some spin on it, but I didn't expect him to admit uh, to this. But I think if you watched closely and looked at some of the evidence that was presented, just like in the trial that we were able to show or bring out. Hey, are are you really searching for the killer? Can you give me a name of a detective or a check that you wrote to a security, you know, investigate private security that you're looking for? Well, yeah, you know, he was full of it. You know, he he was Mm -hmm. just back back backpedaling. So there wasn't a lot to, to substantiate uh, that. And it was a really, and then when I finished, I was drained. Only guess I never shook his hand. And he said, at the end, his smart remark was, oh, it's great talking sports with you, you know, kind oh. of thing. Well, let, let, me, let me ask you this he, now. Let, let me ask you this. You, to, a, a couple of years later, though, Chris, you interview him again after you mentioned it earlier, the civil trial. I mean, that's open, shut, slam dunk. He's, he's paying hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, that's no, that's, that was that, all one. No, that was all one. Oh, it was all it was one together. First. OK, OK. All yeah, right. All yeah, one yeah, together. He, I beg your he, pardon. All right. Yeah. But so, there is a funny story uh, a couple of years later, because this was he didn't do any interviews that were live. You know, he did some tape stuff with a friend. I, I tore my knee up and I'm at the Curl and Job Clinic in uh, in uh, Los Angeles. And I get in the elevator after a follow up procedure. And who gets in? I'm going to a higher. Oh, O.J. Oh, Simpson walks in. He's in there as well. This is a few years later. And I, I just said, oh, hey. And he said, yeah, hey, I, you know, I, I remember you. And I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I just got a little knee thing I got. And he said, yeah, I got this hand problem that's been, I've had some surgery. I got to have more surgery 
done on it, which relates, if you remember, yes. going back to, yes, breaking the window. So it, it, it's just funny how evidence still continues to fall into the direction of uh, his guilt. And it's sad that, that it happened and the way people took sides without knowing the facts and where the trial was and how it was handled, et cetera, et cetera. But all I could do in my interview, and I didn't want to play judge and jury, and I played it. You know, people asked me right out, you're guilty. I, I, I didn't want to say that because I wanted people to judge for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, uh, and, and, and it was the highest viewed show in, in that wheelhouse at that time for that type of show. Jay Leno talked about it, entertainment. Everybody had clips from it. Uh, writers, some were critical, some were supportive, but, but the, the idea was people watched it. It mattered, and they could draw their own conclusion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.